We are in the sweet 16 in basketball, and I love to, this time of year, I, every single year I, I uh, fill out an ESPN bracket, I do a little bracketology, and I do this on ESPN as well as Yahoo, and if you are not uh, one that does that, I just encourage it because it's like playing the lottery for free. So they let you, uh, every year they uh, let you fill out as many brackets as you want. And if you pick all of the games correctly, you get a million bucks. I mean, it's as easy as that in all the years that they have done. It's so easy that uh, no one has ever done it. Uh, In all the years that they have done it, no one has ever done it. And I had to look it up. The odds of successfully picking all 63 games correctly is a little over 9.2 quintillion. To put that into perspective, uh, uh, one quintillion is a billion billions. So to put that into perspective a little bit, 9.2 quintillion to one. Um, And just uh, some quick numbers for you. Uh, Tonight, the Powerball. The lotto is about 750 million. I think it's tonight. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, odds to win that are 1 and 303 million. So just to put that into odds there for you. You have a better odds to hit the Powerball than to pick all 63 games correctly of the tournament. So, growing up during the 80s, I love the movies Back to the Future. Uh, some of you may have grown up watching Back to the Future. Uh, but in the second Back to the Future movie, uh, they actually go to the future trying to get uh, back to the present. So, uh, one of the things that Marty does is he is walking by a store and he sees a sports almanac. And he's like, this is a great way to make a little extra money. What I can do is I can get this sports almanac, lay down some bets on a few games. It'll be genius, right? Little did he know that uh, Biff would get his hands on it, or it's really Biff's uh, grandfather or whatever. But he ends up going back and sending it, or it's him, giving it back to himself. You know, the whole messed up how the you see that, Because he had this almanac, he was able to place bets on games with really big odds and win. And so, therefore, he had a ton of money. And we just see, of course, you see the the drama of that happening and how awkward that would be. That would be pretty sweet, right? Having the sports almanac, knowing the outcome of games. We talked about uh, the USA team, 1980 USA Olympic hockey team last week. Uh, I looked it up. They were a 1,000 to 1 odds of winning the gold medal. So, if you were to place a $1,000 bet on that game for them to win the, to the, the gold medal, it would have made you a millionaire before Uncle Sam came to see you. So, uh, but that would be kind of neat, being able to tell the future, see what was going to happen. And, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight as we step into chapter 2 of Daniel. And we're going to see that God will gift him with the ability to interpret the future, to, to tell Nebuchadnezzar about a dream that he is going to have. So, as we saw last week, the theme of the book of Daniel is without a doubt the sovereignty of God in all things. He is sovereign over the big things like international powers. He is sovereign over the small things. He is sovereign over history and is sovereign concerning the future. Our God is sovereign. You know, one of the reasons why I name this series the God of Daniel is because Daniel does not want to take any of God's thunder as he writes this book. 
Daniel does not want to be the center character in this book. He wants God to be the center character of this book. And he wants to point to God and show everyone his sovereignty. And so last week we started off in chapter 1. Leading up to that, the southern kingdom of Judah had been beaten. Uh, A handful of them had been shipped off into exile to Babylon and, of course, in Daniel 1.17, says, God gives Daniel understanding and visions and dreams of every kind. And now in chapter 2, we're going to see how that gift will be used. So, the big idea of chapter 2, God sometimes allows mere mortals, however powerful, to discover their folly in, of their belief system before revealing himself through his messenger. God allows mere mortals, however powerful, to discover the folly of their belief system before revealing himself through his messenger. So Daniel chapter 2. We have a lot of scripture to read tonight, so let's go ahead and get started on that. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said uh, to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered to the Chaldeans and said, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid to ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I want you to think about how impossible that would be. You know, I've had some pretty good dreams in my time. I've had some dreams where I realized they were dreams and I was like, this would be a really good invention. And I woke up and I was like, i got to remember this. I have to remember this. And I wake up and I'm like, mm, it's gone. Anybody ever done that? I'm the only crazy one. Okay. So we ha- he has this dream. And then he wants his magicians and all these wise guys to tell him what the dream means. But before he tells them what the dream means, he wants them to tell him what the dream was to begin with. An impossible Situation. I think you would have had better odds of filling out a perfect bracket than to tell someone what they had dreamed. So let's look at point number one. The God of Daniel reveals his greatness 
through impossible situations. One of the unique things that takes place here in chapter 2 uh, that we miss when we read it in English is that uh, the languages switch from Hebrew to Aramaic. And this will continue through chapter 7, verse 28, and then it switches back to Hebrew. And a lot of people argue about why. Andrew Hill said this, It would be logical for the wise men to communicate with a language common to all. Since the wise men are a racially and ethnically diverse group. So one of the reasons why we see Daniel changing the language here. Changing from Hebrew to Aramaic. is because it would have been a common language of all the people that were around him to read. And we don't need to miss the missional uh, implications uh, that, is, that are happening in this moment. This situation that he is placing Daniel and his friends right in the middle of, this impossible situation, is meant not just for them, but it's meant for a world of Gentiles as well. God wanted this story to be read not just for his people, but for a Gentile nation, a pagan nation, ones that worshipped other gods. Nebuchadnezzar had a series of bad dreams in his second year of reign. And it upset him so much that he wanted all the wise men to tell him exactly what it meant. And uh, tell him what the dream was. And to take it a little further, he said, then I want you to interpret it. I want you to tell me what the dream meant. And if you cannot do that, it means death for you and death for your family. Your house would be laid to ruin. Let's continue to read and see how the world responds. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. First point is the world may respond with anger and threats. The wise men hear this request. They continue to ignore the question and repeat their request to the king to let him know, let them know what the dream was. Um, and it says Nebuchadnezzar responds violently. And things went from bad to worse. And that Daniel and his buddies, they were included in this group of wise men. As we see from chapter 1, God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar put them in a place of honor to be one of these wise men. So without any conversations with King Nebuchadnezzar at this point... Daniel's head is on the line, and his buddy's head is on the line. And they knew that this was a death sentence. They went out to kill them. Let's see how they respond. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And he made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now remember from last week, in chapter 1, God gave Daniel wisdom and knowledge and God shows him favor. And this time Daniel responds, as we all should as Christians, as followers of God, Christians should respond with wisdom and faith. The very thing that these guys asked the king for in verse 8 and were denied 
They were asking the king for more time. Uh, We're going to see Daniel ask for more time or even to speak with the king in which the king had already told them no. And it's going to be granted. So we see Daniel, a teenager, an exile, a slave, a man with now a death sentence on him. Calm, collected, capable to speak power, uh, to speak truth and power. So we see Daniel, this man of faith, against the most powerful man, King Nebuchadnezzar, in the world. How would that work out? Let's continue reading in verse 17. As we see that God, the God of Daniel, delights in our prayers and praise. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and his companions. And told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel and his buddies are in a dilemma. In this impossible situation. And the lives of he and his friends, as well as all the other wise men in Babylon, their lives are at stake. And if God does not come through on this matter, it's over. Uh, It's over. So the first thing he does is he goes to God in prayer. These guys decide to do the only thing they could. Ask God to help them with this mystery. It's the only thing that they could do at this point. To pray. And not just praying for their own welfare, but for the welfare of the other wise men involved. Don't miss this. Daniel was concerned about these pagan worshiping guys who are going to be a lot of trouble down the road, right? But he he seeks their welfare. He says, I don't want to just save my head and my buddy's head. I want to save all these guys' heads. I want to save them all. Daniel was concerned for these guys. He was concerned for their welfare. So he does the only thing that he knows to do. He prays. And then he does what all of us love to do every night. He goes to bed. He prayed. He put the matter into God's hand. And then he went to bed. A good night's rest, right? I want you to imagine this. All of a sudden, someone barges into your room. And they want to take you to kill you. Because the wise men of Babylon cannot interpret the king's dream. So this is, that would be considered a bad day. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, it, his head is still on the line. If God does not reveal this mystery, he's going to be killed the next day. And yet he prays and he goes to bed. You know, this is total speculation. It does not say this in the scripture, in the text. But I would think that... The only way someone could do that on the worst day ever 
would be if this was a matter, this was their lifestyle. I think this was Daniel and his friend's lifestyle. They prayed to God every day. I think sometimes in the good old U.S. of A., um, if things are going well, if things are just like they should be, it's very difficult for us to continue to go to God in prayer, to seek his face for wisdom, to seek his face for understanding, uh, to seek his face even in his word. It's usually when our feathers get ruffled. It's usually when a crisis enters into our life that we really spend time on our knees. And I don't think that was the case for Daniel and his buddies. I think this was a matter of how they did life day in and day out. And it was just an overflow of who they were. So they go to God in prayer. Secondly, they respond with praise. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people continually will uh, worship in song. Meaning they would write these songs for people to remember. Um, they would write these songs so that they could teach them to their children and their children would remember. And that's exactly what happens here. He writes to give praise to God. First for God being sovereign. Um, and that's kind of the, the theme of this whole series. Sovereign over all things. But because he's a God that gives understanding, that gives revelation. And I think Daniel wants us to get out of this, uh, this part of the text, that interpreting a dream is important. You know, for God to give them this dream was important, but knowing and worshiping God was the ultimate thing. Yeah, I think he says, look at what God did in giving us this dream, but don't miss the fact that we have an opportunity to give honor and praise to our God. Worshiping and knowing God is ultimate. And we see that in this section as Daniel will speak of God as being eternal, being all-knowing and all-powerful, being sovereign over the whole world, verse 21, being a God that gives wisdom and understanding, revelation and knowledge, faithful to his people, answering prayers. God is to be worshiped above all, in all situations. And in the same way that Joseph did in Genesis, Daniel goes to God, he asks for help, and we see a Hebrew slave, by divine intervention, reveal his plan to the man of power. Power that they only have because God gave them that power. So why? Why would a sovereign God choose to do it in this way? Number three, God reveals his future kingdom to show his power. To show his power. Let's continue reading in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And Arioch went in, brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man or enchanter or magician or astrologer can show, astrologer can show you the king the mystery that the king has asked. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head, uh, excuse me. Yes, your dreams and the visions of your, of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that it may be, you may know the thoughts of your mind. This shows that Daniel's sovereign God, first of all, is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Daniel goes to the captain of the guards. He says, take me to the king. And he brings him before the king. And I love how Arioch tries to take some of the thunder by saying, hey, I found, I found the guy who can tell you about the dream. He tries to take a little bit of the, of the praise here. But Daniel responds in humility. He says, no wise men, no magicians, no one is able to do this. And you got to think about it. This is Daniel's life on the line. And yet he says, no man can do this. But, verse 28, if you like to highlight, this is a verse to highlight. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to, to you what the, will be in the last days. And then Daniel even tells him where he was at when he had the dream. And Daniel gives all the credit and all the glory to God in this moment. Not me, but to God. So let's get to the dream. You saw, O king, a, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff in the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away. So that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. And to whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly iron, there shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. They will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. 
And in the days of those, the kings of heaven will, be, uh, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to, any other, uh, to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end and shall stand forever. Just as you, saw, you saw, saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Secondly, this shows... First of all, that God is all-knowing, but secondly, that God is all-powerful. And only the God of heaven can do all of these things. David Jeremiah, in his series, Agents of the Apocalypse, said this, You may not know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. And since the whole world is in God's hands, your world is in God's hands. He is in control. So God showed Nebuchadnezzar this great image, this great statue that was powerful, frightening in appearance. And we see the four sections, head of gold, chest of arms of silver, stomach and thigh of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. So what are they? Well, the first is very easy. Verse 38, uh, he will tell him that you are the head of gold. The head of gold is Babylon. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar his exalted status as king in the Babylonian Empire was a gift for this time. And the same wording here in verses 37 and 38 is found somewhere else in the Bible uh, in Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. God said this, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, I've given you all of these things. And Babylon is this head of gold. And Daniel makes that clear. And the same wording that God used for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 is the same wording here when Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, God has given you this world and given you dominion over this world for this time and for this purpose. One good thing about being on this side of history is we know the kingdoms that are described here. Uh, number two, the chest of arms and silver is Medo-Persia. After a 65-year reign in Babylon... Chapter 5, we're going to see a takeover of Babylon by the Persians in 539 B.C. It was inferior in totalitarian rule, but it would be a vast empire that would last for more than 200 years. We'll talk about that more in chapter 5. But thirdly, the stomach and thigh of bronze is Greece. The middle section of the body... Thighs of bronze, which will rule the whole earth, represents Greece, built by one Alexander the Great. He would conquer the known world, die at a young age of 33. This kingdom would last for about 185 years. Lastly, the legs of iron, feet of iron and clay is Rome. The great and powerful empire that is as strong as iron. Because in verse 40, iron crushes and shatters all things. 
And like iron smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. We all know the Roman Empire because it will be the conquering power when Jesus will step onto the scene. And I know that there's another blank, but we're going to save that for in just a second. So let's finish up. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings, revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made the request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So last point, the God of Daniel honors those who faithfully serve him. He honors those who faithfully serve him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, when I think about Daniel and his buddies and the hard place that they were in and this difficult, almost impossible situation that they were in, they were lights in a dark place. And Nebuchadnezzar, as well as everyone else that was around, that heard this story, that saw what happened, they could not deny the good works that they saw. And you can even imagine that these wise men who knew that they were headed to their death and now they are alive. They had to stop and consider what Daniel's God was all about. And we will see that even a pagan will give God glory. God may choose to honor you with praise. To those who faithfully serve God, he may choose to honor you with praise. He may choose to uh, exalt you just a little bit, to have other people to give you praise. Nebuchadnezzar acted very unkingly in this moment. He fell down and worshipped Daniel. He even offered an offering and burnt incense to Daniel. I love what David Helm says. Check this out. Says Daniel's God now shares the stage with the Babylonian de- deities. Given what we know of Nebuchadnezzar's religiosity, this is truly amazing. The one who had been named for Babylon's deity of wisdom, who played to Marduk at his coronation only one year previously, now gave space to a competing deity and even offered public words of praise to him. For the first time in Nebuchadnezzar's life, Marduk had competition in his interior world. All because one godly man remained poised, prayerful, prayerful, and willing to speak truth and power. So even in the most difficult of situations, when we choose to faithfully serve God, he may choose to honor us with praise. Secondly, God may choose to honor us with promotion. 
you know, it was a scary turn of events, uh, but it's going to turn out pretty good for uh, Daniel and his buddies. They receive promotions. They receive many generous gifts. Uh, in verse 48, he becomes ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor to all the wise men of Babylon. All because the God of Daniel and his sovereign plan, even while Daniel and his friends were in exiles in a pagan country, chose to remain faithful to serve him, even while serving a pagan king. They remained faithful to God, even in the midst of the most difficult situations that life was throwing at them. All right, lastly, the stone that smashes and becomes a great mountain is Jesus. These verses are what the dream is pointing to all along. Scholars debate on whether uh, this is talking about when Jesus first stepped onto the scene uh, as he dies for his people, as he raises from the dead. Uh, Some people think that that is when this all starts. Some people argue that... uh, This all happens when Jesus returns at the end of time, where he will set up his earthly kingdom. And much like many of the Old Testament prophecies that we will see, uh, the answer to that is yes, uh, both, right? I do think that the the stone coming in and smashing these kingdoms, yes, I do think that that takes place when Jesus uh, comes down as a babe, as he lives a life that we could not live, as he dies the death that we deserve, as he you know, raises, conquers death as he raises from the dead. That is when all of this takes place, when this mountain begins to form, when this rock that crushes all the other kingdoms begins to become this mountain. Uh, So this kingdom is not going away. I don't think that we will, uh, of course, see the fruition of what will happen with that mountain until Jesus returns uh, and establishes his kingdom for all eternity. But unlike the previous four kingdoms, or these previous four powers, this kingdom is not going away. There will never be an end to it. As it was talking about how all the other kingdoms became like chafe, and they were blown away by the wind. There was evidence that it was there before, and now there's no evidence that it even existed. This rock, this mountain is not going away. There will be not be a time in history when you won't see... God's kingdom on this earth or in his church anymore. So, and I love how the scripture ends. This dream is certain and its interpretation sure. In other words, take it to the bank. This is how it's going to happen. Uh, You have the sports almanac, Marty McFly, place the bet. This is how it's going down because uh, this is how God said it was going down. So, pointing to Jesus. Last few blanks for you. Pointing to Jesus. First of all, Christ is the stone the world rejected. Christ is the stone the world rejected. Psalm 118.22. And all throughout scripture you will see so many such rich imagery uh, relating Jesus to the rock. Uh, Psalm 118.22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This verse alone is quoted in three of the four Gospels. We see it also in Acts. Uh, in several places in the New Testament, this verse will be quoted. It says, Jesus is that stone that the builders rejected. And they're connecting these Old Testament scriptures 
to New Testament times, and they're saying Jesus was it. If you want to know what that scripture was about, it was about Jesus. So he's the stone that the world rejected. Secondly, Christ is the stone God will exalt to use to build his kingdom. Isaiah chapter 2. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 2 as we wrap up tonight. Isaiah chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 2. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of, of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, to the God of Jacob, that they may teach us his way and we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their their swords uh, into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up swords against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. Christ is the stone the world rejected. He is the stone God will exalt to use to build his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. And it's the one that we are part of today. We are and are continuing to become that great mountain that will never go away. And and with the same boldness that Daniel and his friends have to live with courage, uh, we should too, in the same manner, go and speak boldly to a world that doesn't believe about the rock on which that we stand. So let's pray.